0: You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. How would you fill in this blank? Now, let me just say this ahead of time. You might not want to say this out loud, but please answer it at least in your mind, your heart, okay?
1: I believe, I
0: think that I would be truly happy if. How would you finish that? I think I would be truly happy if. Probably many of us in this room have something comes to mind pretty spontaneously. Depends on your life situation.
1: Some of you have a
0: particularly painful relationship right now, personally or in your family, that that you just wish with all of your heart could be resolved. I would be truly happy if that painful relationship could be fixed. Some of you... Either yourself, or again, someone in your family or close circle of friends, is faced with a serious medical condition right now, and it weighs on you. It weighs heavily on you, and you think, "I, I would be so happy if that medical condition would just would just go away," or, or maybe there's just some life circumstance that makes your life difficult. Maybe you really don't like your job. (laughs) Or, Or maybe you're struggling, you students, maybe you're struggling with one class in particular that you just wish you could get through. Or maybe you're not happy with your housing situation or your finances, the ends just don't seem to meet. And you think, you know, if that could just be fixed, if that could just be fixed, I think I would be happy. What has to happen in our lives for us to know happiness? Or if I could say it a different way, what has to happen in our lives for us to have true joy? Please join me in your Bibles if you have a copy electronically or in print to Luke chapter 2. And this morning we're going to look at a very familiar passage. It's Luke chapter 2, the first 20 verses. So my prayer for weeks as I've been meditating on this passage and preparing the sermon is that we would look at it today with fresh eyes. And I know that's only the work of the Holy Spirit, and so I've been asking Him to do that. Would you give us fresh eyes to see this familiar passage today? Luke chapter 2. As you turn there, let me say this. It was no doubt a normal third shift night. A few men gathered close to the fire some of them already nodding off and one deliberately staying awake, maybe poking the fire a little bit and paying attention to what was going on out there and maybe hearing an occasional bleat of a sheep or a little yip of a dog. And then wham! I mean, all of a sudden, totally unexpectedly, there was this blazing light and an angel of God was standing there right in front of them What would you have done had you been around that campfire? You would have been scared. (laughs) And so would I. And that's exactly what happened to these men that night. Some of us were here last week when Chris Jones pointed out very well that uh, these images of the little baby cherubim with, with, with their bows and arrows, their cute little cherubim you know what I'm talking about, What a distortion of the biblical image of an angel. Did you know that in the Bible, I know at least in Psalm 103, verse 20, maybe some other places, angels are called God's mighty ones. God's mighty ones. And if you study angels in the Bible, you will see that when people encounter angels, they are almost always, almost always initially struck with fear. Now, I'm guessing that these shepherds are pretty rough, tough guys in a lot of ways. It probably was a a rough bunch of guys around that campfire. But it says here in the Bible that they were filled with great fear. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I wouldn't be surprised if at least some of them are very quickly doing this uh, mental rollback, thinking, okay, why am I going to be judged? Why am I going to be judged? What have I done? What have I done? You know, that God just sent his angel here, and I'm sure he's here to punish us. Well, we're in for it now, boys. You can almost imagine them doing this quick recounting of their lives. But the angel that showed up around this group of men that night came to calm them and not to frighten them. He came with a message of good news. So you have found Luke 2 by now. You listen as I read aloud. Luke chapter 2, the word of God says, beginning at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth in Ju- to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem Join me out in the field. Let's go out to the outskirts of Bethlehem. What do we see there? What do we see out there on the outskirts of Bethlehem? Well, we see sheep, don't we? And almost certainly these sheep would have been in a sort of enclosure, a a sheepfold. Uh, I'm guessing since it was this close to town, it probably was a long-established sheepfold, maybe made out of stone, a circular affair with an opening, a gate. So we would see sheep. And we see shepherds out there protecting their sheep. Being nighttime, probably what's going on here is that several shepherds with their individual flocks would work together at nighttime. And so that they could take turns getting some sleep, this consortium of shepherds would put each of their flocks together into this fold. and, And then the men would take turns keeping watch over the flock by night. We often think of these men, and uh, we should let our minds drift back because there was another shepherd who tended sheep on these same hills a thousand years before, a thousand years before, out on those very same hills. There was a young shepherd named David, who later became King David of Israel. As we think about shepherds, we sometimes give in to sentimentality and think of them as gentle and noble, and no doubt some of them were. There were some shepherds who were gentle and noble, but there were other shepherds that were pretty rough characters. (laughs) And we can almost guess for sure that they're on the smelly side, because they worked with sheep all the time. But no matter what the character of these particular shepherds, like all shepherds, like all shepherds, they would have seen, be seen in their culture, not as the rich and famous, not as the educated and powerful, but as everyday people. I would say that most people in that society would have looked at these men, these shepherds, and thought of them as average Joes. They were just doing their job that night. That's what they were doing, like so many nights before. But this seemingly normal evening turned into one that the shepherds would never forget. The darkness was erased by a blazing light as this angel appeared suddenly before them by their campfire. He was a messenger. That's what angel means. Angel means a messenger. He was a messenger from God Himself. Now, because this story has been told and read so many times, sometimes we lose the impact. Sometimes we lose the significance of what's going on here. Interestingly, the angel did not appear in the temple to give an announcement to the priests, to the rabbis. He did not appear in the palace to make an announcement to the king and the princes. This messenger was coming to the fields to talk to some simple shepherds, some rough peasant men. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, had the angel come in our day to our culture, what would be comparable? Maybe it's because I'm the son of a trucker. I I thought, you know, it would be like an angel showing up at a truck stop. You know, we would expect them to show up in some famous church or, or Washington, D.C. But what if the shepherd show, what if the angels showed up at a truck stop? Did some truckers gather around some semi-clean tables, drinking a late-night cup of coffee before they got back on the road? For the people in the first century, that would be somewhat comparable. Are you serious? A truck stop? Truckers? Are are you serious? Shepherds? What did the angels say to these shepherds? Let's pay real close attention. Do you realize that this message from God is the first public message from God in 400 years? The first public message from God. Over this past year, he had appeared privately, personally, to Zechariah and to Joseph and to Mary. But apart from those three personal messages, this was the first public message from God in 400 years. And God sent an angel to speak to these shepherds. We're going to reread this passage in bites. I'm going to read verses 10, 11, and 12 again. What did he say? Let's pay real close attention. The angel said to them, fear not, or literally, stop being afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Stop being afraid. Why, Why would they stop being afraid? What could the angel say that would take away their fear? He says, I'm bringing you good news. Now, in many places in the New Testament, that same phrase is translated the gospel. I'm bringing you good news. God's intention to these shepherds was not judgmental. He did not come to punish them. He did not come to judge them. He was coming to show His grace. You know, as I reflect on that, I realize that the gospel takes away our fear of meeting the holy God. It's news the angel said of great joy, great joy. Great joy displaces great fear. Well, why, why so great? Well, let's take a step back and think about that. What would make this message so great? Why, why would it be so full of joy? Well, we talked about problems here at the begin, beginning, didn't we? Uh, problems relationally, problems financially problems physically. What is the biggest problem you or any other human being has ever faced? What is the biggest problem human beings have ever faced? How could I as a sinful human being ever be right with a perfectly holy God? I am creature. I was made by the Creator. And one day I will give an account to the one who made me, the one who owns me. And he's perfectly holy. He can't even, he's so holy he can't even look at sin, Habakkuk says. And yet I am a sinner again and again, through and through. Every every part of me has been affected by sin. How can I, as a sinful human being, ever be accepted by a holy God. That, my friends, is an infinitely bigger problem than your finances or your health or your relational struggles with other humans. And yet the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. Who will this great joy be for? He says, for all the people. Now, I'm pretty sure that the shepherds when they heard that they were thinking for all of Israel and that's not wrong. I I think that would be true. This is a good news of great joy for everyone in Israel. But it's interesting to me he says will be and he uses a a future tense there and and it makes me wonder if if actually the the good news is for more than all Israel and that the angel is implying that even in what he's saying here as he speaks for God that it's going to be good news of great joy for all the people, not just Jews, but Gentiles, not just the educated, but the uneducated, not just for the young, but the old, male and female, rich or poor. Why joy? Did you notice the focal point of his message here? The focal point. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, for you enjoy studying the Bible, I think it's fascinating. This is the only place in the Bible where you see those three titles appear in the same sentence: Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's the Savior. Savior from what? Savior from what? You, you know, we we could answer that with a number of answers, couldn't we? He's a Savior from Satan the one who had control of us. He's going to save us from his clutches. He's going to save us from our sin, those things that tear us away from God. He's going to save us from God's holy wrath. He's going to save us from condemnation, from judgment that we rightfully deserve because of our sin. He's going to save us from that. He's the Savior. And you think about this message God's speaking through His messenger, His angel, and you realize People have been looking forward to this for so long. I mean, clear back in Adam and Eve's day, after Adam and Eve sinned and everything looked lost, God said, one day, one day I will send a serpent crusher. One day I will send a serpent crusher. And here he is. In the days of Moses, God said, I will send a better prophet than Moses. One like Moses, but better. In Isaiah's day, a virgin will have a son and he will carry these glorious titles. Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. And here he is. In Micah's day, a descendant of David will be born in Bethlehem. And here it is. For hundreds, thousands of years, People have been longing for the Savior, waiting for God's pregnant promise to give birth. And this night, that baby was born. I have good news of great joy. He is the Savior. He's Christ. That means anointed one. That means the promised king. When David lived in these hills a thousand years before this, He became a king, and he was told during his kingship that he would have a descendant one day whose reign would never end. He would have a descendant one day who would have a perfect kingdom, whose reign would no, no end. And here a descendant of David was born that night. He is the Lord. That title, Lord, has overtones of godness, of deity. He is God come in the flesh, Emmanuel. Here, my lowly shepherds, is good news of great joy. Your Savior, your Messiah, your Lord, has been born tonight, right over there in Bethlehem. Well, how are these shepherds going to find this newborn King? How are they going to find him? Uh, even you kids in the room know the answer to that because you hear it every Christmas. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's how they did it back then. They'd wrap their babies up in strips of cloth, and he's going to be lying in a manger. Now, 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 we sanitize that. But what's a manger? Some of you have farm backgrounds. What's a manger? It's a feeding trough. It's a feeding trough. I mean, you know, that's where, that's where you put the hay for the animals. It had camel slobber in it. It was a feeding trough. What, what an irony. What a paradox. That God come in the flesh would be born in a stable and placed in a feeding trough. What was that passage Chris Jones had us read last week? Philippians 2. Who, although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Something to be clung to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And being found in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself that Emmanuel, God come in the flesh, was born not in a palace, not in the temple. He was born in an animal stable. And his crib was a feeding trough oh, we sanitize it, but there's really nothing sanitary about it. Is this how how you would orchestrate the coming of God's king? Well, let's go back out to the the shepherd's fields there. You know, if, if this angel, this blazing light wasn't enough in and of himself, suddenly, it says, suddenly there was a whole host, a whole army of angels with him. Now, in the artist's depictions, usually you see, you know, 10 or 12 angels up there hovering around. But when it says a host or a multitude or an army, it's probably depicting not a dozen, but hundreds if not thousands. Now, it boggles our minds to try to picture what these shepherds saw. But it's quite possible what they saw was this army of angels going, going from horizon to horizon. That there were thousands of them. And can you imagine the sight? Can you imagine the sound? Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, they might have been singing, but it says they were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because Jesus was born that night, there's praise in heaven, there's glory in heaven. That even the angelic beings, even the unfallen creatures, realize that what is happening that night is significant. God is putting on display His glory in launching this part of His redemption plan and sending His own precious Son to die for unworthy sinners. Peter makes a comment in his first letter. Chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Even angels long to look into these things. Have you ever wondered what that means? Even angels long to look into these things. The angels cannot know redemption experientially, experimentally. Uh, These unfallen angels, they're not objects of God's redemption. But they've seen the master plan it. They've seen the master launch it. And they're curious. And I know it's maybe my boyish imagination at times. But I wonder if when Jesus was born that night, if these angelic beings were glad to obey the Master's command to go down there and sing my praises. It's like, oh, we're glad to do that. I mean, we're, we want to see what's going on too. You know, they, they long to look. And so it's almost as if they follow Master Jesus down to Bethlehem's hills. They, they long to look. That is God inaugurates the birth of His Son, heaven erupts in praise. There's glory in the highest, glory in heaven because of God's plan of redemption being launched that night. And the angel said, there's peace on earth. Peace on earth. The people who are the objects of God's favor. There's overtones in that of sovereign grace. The people who have been separated from God, people who have been estranged from God, will now be brought near God. They'll be united to God. There'll be reconciliation. There's peace on earth. Fallen sinners reconciled to God. And even this reminds us of one day, one day, that Jesus will come a second time and he'll complete his work of redemption. There will be a cosmic redemption where everything is put back into order. And as John was allowed to see on that day, there will be no more death. There won't be any more mourning. There won't be any more crying. There won't be any more tears. Now, what do you suppose these shepherds did when the angel army slipped back into heaven? Verses 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, I bet they did, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, we have to try to picture this, but, you know, the angels go back to heaven and these shepherds look at one another with their mouths hanging open and say, Let's go. Let's go find him. Now, I'm going to assume, since they were shepherds near Bethlehem, that they were pretty familiar with the town. And we don't know how long it took them to find Jesus. Maybe not very long at all. Maybe their familiarity with the town, they kind of had an idea where to go doesn't matter, but they did find him, didn't they? And they found him in this stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough, just like the angel said. And we put up our little cratias, we put up our little nativity scenes, and some of them um, probably aren't the most accurate. <laughs> but nevertheless, they give us an idea, don't they? And it's wonderful to watch the kids, the little kids. I love watching the grandkids play with the manger scenes. And talking to them about it. But we can picture these shepherds, smelly, rough-looking shepherds. Maybe elbowing one another, jostling one another, trying to get a look. It's just like the angel said. Just like he said. There he is. That's, that's the Savior. That's Christ the Lord. And then the wonder of oh, we don't know how long they stayed. Maybe they stayed for a good while, talking to Mary and Joseph, telling them how they knew to come there, giving Mary and Joseph a recounting of the angel coming and the heavenly host. Maybe, maybe one of the older shepherds finally said, well, boys, you know, we ought to let this young family get some rest. <laughs> and we have some sheep to take care of. And they finally tore themselves away from this marvelous scene. What, what happened after the stable visit? Verses 17 and 18, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. They were filled with joy and these these shepherds did some spreading of the good news themselves, didn't they? You know, if the sun was beginning to rise by that point, that means the village would be stirring. There would be ladies going out to get the day's water supply at the village well and maybe some men heading off to feed their animals or maybe someone heading to the outhouse or whatever you know the village is stirring people are up and around and the shepherds would encounter people out there on the streets of, of Bethlehem and they'd say hey you wouldn't believe what happened tonight well, <coughs> struggling to tell the story <laughs> excuse me The shepherds were so glad to tell people the good news that the Savior had been born that very night right there in the village of Bethlehem. The first evangelizers of the Evangel were simple, ordinary, blue-collar guys. And what about Mary? Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary treasured these things she kept mulling them over in her mind and it's almost like she was thinking back the angel's message to her joseph coming and telling her about the angel's message to him the journey to Bethlehem, the birth of the baby that very night and then the shepherds coming it's like she was putting the pieces together in her mind maybe wondering what lies ahead for this son of mine What lies ahead for my baby Jesus? And the shepherds, what was life like for them after this night? Did you hear my question? What was life like for these shepherds after this night? Now, like you, I have heard Luke 2 multiple times. Being older than most of you, I've probably heard it more often. uh, Maybe hundreds of times. I've preached this passage before. But you know the last few weeks as I've been meditating on this passage one word in particular has caught my attention my curiosity it's in verse 20 it says and the shepherds returned the shepherds returned return to what return to where return to whom They returned to their flocks. They, they returned to their jobs. They returned to their families. They returned to their meager finances. They returned to their lives. The shepherds went back to their normal lives. They, they, they went back to their normal lives. Their circumstances probably hadn't changed. They probably had the same sort of income, same family relationships, same health issues, same job. Their circumstances hadn't changed, but they had, they had, because they they had met the Savior that night. They, They had met the Savior that night. They had met Christ, their King. And life was different now. Not their circumstances. But their lives were different because they were different. That now they were filled with great joy. They were filled with great joy because they had met the Savior. What about you and I? How would we fill in that blank? I think I would be truly happy if And I walk the same ground you do. I have the same kind of struggles you do. And sometimes we get frustrated with life. And sometimes even grieved with life. And we think, you know what? My life would be a lot better. My life would be a lot happier if. And we look around us. We look around us and we think, if I could just have that fixed. If I didn't have that problem with that family member, with that friend. If if I didn't have this health issue in front of me. If. If, if my finances would just improve, if I just had a nicer place to live, if I could just get through that class, if I just had a job I enjoyed, if, 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 and we think happiness is going to come through changing my circumstances. And yet, I think there are people in this room that could testify that if you actually got that wish, you wouldn't really find that to be true joy. Maybe relief, but true joy. <laughs> Can I encourage you to look at this passage this Christmas season afresh? Fresh eyes. And as you hear it told again and again, you think about that issue of what makes the message of good news one of great joy. The great joy does not come because necessarily our circumstances change. The great joy comes because God the Father has sent His Son, the Savior, Christ the Lord. The great joy is found in Him. So may I ask you, my friend, where are you looking for joy? Some of you have found your joy in Christ. You have found great joy in Christ. I was thinking the last few days about something Jesus said. It's recorded in Luke chapter 10, verse 20 when there were some of his followers all excited that they could do some great ministry. And Jesus said, don't, don't, don't rejoice in that. <laughs> rejoice in this. Some of you know this verse. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus said, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what to be glad for. I'll tell you what to be happy for. I'll tell you what to find joy in. Find joy. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So no matter what your life circumstances, and some of you are facing very difficult things as you continue to traverse this fallen world. You, you, you're in relationships. You have relationships in your family that are painful. I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying they're not painful. They are. Some of you are struggling financially. Some of us in this church struggling with health issues. But our joy is not found in those things being taken away. One day they will be. But even as we continue our traverse through this fallen world, we can have great joy in our Savior. That I've been reconciled to a holy God because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be born, to live, to die, to rise again, and to ascend to the right hand of the Father for me. My joy is found in Him. Some of you have found that joy, and I would say, worship Christ, the newborn king. And some of you are still chasing that elusive fantasy of trying to find your joy around you. Can I encourage you today to stop looking around you for joy and to look up? Look up at Christ, the Savior, the newborn king, and to find your hope, your joy in him. God's favor comes to you, that he gives you eyes to see Christ, ears to hear the good shepherd's voice, gives you a, a new heart that loves Christ, then you will find joy in him as well. At the right hand of him, there's joy forevermore, the psalmist said.